Welcome to the Forensic Cop Podcast. This is LFC Core. Looking forward. Looking back. So, we sit here now as EPL champions for the first time in 30 years with uh, Captain Jordan Henderson soon to raise the actual trophy. And it kind of makes me think back to uh, maybe two or three years ago when people were really questioning, you know, is this the guy who should even be playing on the team? Uh, You know, what's he really doing here? Why does Klopp have all that trust in him? Which takes us even further back to uh, July 1st, 2011, when he came over from Sunderland. Um, And I can guarantee you at that time, nobody thought this would be the guy uh, who would be lifting the cup for the first time in 30 years for Liverpool. So, you know, looking back at, at what Jordan Henderson has brought to the team, uh, you know, the numbers don't really say everything he's brought, but it definitely seems like the players on the team and the coaches think this is a, a great guy to follow into battle. So when you look at him, again, you've been following Liverpool for decades. What do you see? If I'm being completely honest, I did not see him evolving into the player he is today when we first got him in 2011. Well, I again, he- to, to, to realize, I don't think anybody saw that. I mean, at the time, if I recall, there were articles being written that he was brought in to carry other guys' water. So nobody saw it. So don't take that hard on yourself. Oh, no, no. That's, so where I was going with that is... You could see the talent was there, and he he did have something about him. But um, when he first started playing for Liverpool, I remember Kenny Dalglish was playing him on the right of the midfield, almost almost as a old school winger. And in that, even in that position, even though you could tell it wasn't his natural position, but he did show that he had quick feet. He 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 had good reactions. But if he if you gave him the ball and asked him to dribble all the way and, and cross it into into the middle. He wouldn't be able to do that. However, if a player attacked him, he'd know how to get himself out of the situation. But anyway, to to answer your question, I, I did not see him turn into the player he is today. And I think he is a product of, of his experience at Liverpool. I think the pivotal moment was when um, Brendan Rodgers was willing to sell him to Fulham at, in part exchange for Clint Dempsey, which really goes to show you how low his stock was at the time. He refused to go. He said, no, I'm going to stay and fight for my place. And he fought his way back into the team to the point where if he did not get the red card against Man City in 2014, we would have been champions that year because the game that he missed against Chelsea was, if if he was playing at the same level that he had been playing all season, we would have won that game and we, we would have been champions that year. And, and from that point on, he just went from strength to strength. So I, I would agree. I think there was a lot more to him than maybe some people remember. So I think there's a, a lot of fans now that may forget that, you know, he was uh, quite brilliant and talented. Um, and, and he still is. But there was kind of that intermediary period where we didn't have that holding midfielder and Klopp put him there. And he definitely wasn't showing many of his strengths there. Yes, and I remember the very first game that he played in that position, we lost. And he did not have a good game, but Klopp said that 
that's where he's going to play from now on and he will need time to to grow into the role and lo and behold after a few games he really did grow into the role and and that's testament to the intelligence the 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 football intelligence that he has he is just one of the, probably one of the most footballing smart players on on the Liverpool team he just knows First of all, he knows the extent of his own abilities, and I think that's that's really huge. And now, with the responsibility, he's taking more risks compared to when he first went to the team. He just played the five-yard passes, um, back and forth, back and forth, pointing at his feet, back and forth. But now he's he actually takes a lot more risks, and he just knows he understands how to get the most out of the players around him. Um, what I would also add in his maybe defense, if you want to call it, was in the 16-17 season, he had a, a foot injury that basically took him out at the end of February, and that was basically the end of his season. And so he missed a, a good period of time there. And obviously, for any footballer with a foot injury, um, that can make it more difficult to come back. And I'm not sure he came back exactly the same as he left. I remember it, it took almost a whole season for him to be managed through games after that injury. And I, I actually thought that he, he would just be one of those players that you, you just kind of have to watch his minutes and he, he, he wouldn't be able to play two back-to-back 90-minute games, let's say, because he, he had a foot injury and then he had an issue with his ankle. And I just thought, okay, perhaps this is just the player that we have now where even though he was still 26, 27 maybe, um, he, he, he will just not be able to play a full season uh, and will have to just manage his minutes. But... Over the last few seasons, yes, he does have the occasional injury, but he's certainly able to play through it. And I mean, he plays with he he plays with intensity every single game. And I, I can't say that about any other player on the team. Yeah, I mean, it it says a lot um, for well, not necessarily says a lot, but it's it's a really good feeling for a coach to be able to send on a guy and know exactly what he gets game in and game out. You know, players in general will have up and down games. There are games where the ball just won't sit for you. There are games where you just you can't do the things you normally do. But when it comes to Jordan Henderson, I think Klopp sends him out there and knows exactly what he's going to get in terms of dedication, in terms of grit, in terms of fight. Um, you know, he is going to get at the same level every single game, and he's going to push everyone around him to be at that level. And and I would even say that um, during the injury, if I'm not mistaken, earlier in the season, he had a hamstring injury at the end of February, beginning of March. I felt like uh, not necessarily there was lacks in the team, but I definitely felt like there wasn't that presence pushing them on. Yes, I agree. Now, along with Trent and any of the front three and Van Dyke, I'd say he's one of the players that you take him out of the team and Liverpool just doesn't quite tick the same way. I'm not saying he's the best player, but he's certainly one of the, if not the most influential players in the first team squad and that's really saying something yeah and and again it comes down to one of those things where us as viewers and and pundits can say what we want but when you talk to the players to a man they all look at him and they you know all acknowledge that he's the leader he drives the team he's the heartbeat and and that says a lot for i mean look at the quality of players that liverpool have and look at what those players are saying. And they're all looking at Henderson and saying, yeah, he's the undisputed leader. You look at a guy like like Van Dyke. You know, mm-hmm. how many teams in this league would Van Dyke not be the captain? 
Right. You know, like we have some top-notch players and yet, um, you know, Henderson kind of not reigns above them, but is a cut above them in terms of, you know, the leader on the team. Um, so again, you know, I'm, I'm looking back. I, I would agree with you. I never saw this coming. Um, and I was one of the guys who wasn't really sure about Henderson during his uh, time and as the holding midfielder, uh, pointing to his shoes, asking for the ball, playing the five-yard passes back all the time. Um, I didn't really know what this guy was about, and I thought, you know, maybe his time has just passed. But, I mean, clearly, you know, you're seeing a lot from him lately. He's definitely got some ability going forward. Um, he'll score the odd goal. Uh, what about if from um, as a wild question from his captaincy? So you look at him, and he played with Steven Gerrard for what about four years or so. Um, do you see any kind of similarities between the two? The only similarity I see is that they're English, honestly. I, in terms of game, okay, yes, they're both what you could call box to box midfielders, but. Gerard, as a captain, was not vocal. He 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 led by example. Yeah, I know it's a cliche, but he really did. He, he wouldn't be the one yelling at players. I mean, he would every now and then, but not really as a captain. Maybe just out of frustration with a game going the wrong way. Um, but with Henderson, you can tell that this is the leader. He's a vocal captain. He commands authority, even though he's not the best player. Gerard was the best player, and and then that just spoke for itself, right? So in that sense, I, I see them being very different, even in terms of their skill. Gerard is clearly a lot more skillful. However, I don't know if there's anything Gerard can do that Henderson cannot. It's just that Henderson doesn't do it as often as Gerard does. So I'm not saying he plays within himself, but Gerard was just a better player more often but in terms of skill there's not much that Gerard had that Henderson doesn't have in his locker if that makes any sense yeah no it doesn't and I think it's a very interesting comparison um just the the way you put it that Gerard was more of a quiet player and I I would definitely say that Henderson is not that um you know Gerard was captain for about 12 years or so and he kind of handed off the baton to Hendo and and Henderson has definitely done it in a different way um again I don't want to say a more effective way but at least for this side it seems to be more effective in that he definitely knows how to push guys how to get them going um and and again it's it's a long way from from that 2011 transfer it's a long way from you know when he was playing a, a center of the midfield as a holding midfielder, he he's come a long way. And uh, I guess what's changed from our view is his game because now he's a more of a, an attacking threat. He's more moving the ball up, but I would wager that maybe his uh, enthusiasm for the team, pushing his teammates, kind of the captaincy side of it hasn't really changed all that much. Yeah. And one, one, one call out there I, I would mention is the fact that, we have a, a midfield that Klopp rotates, a midfield that includes the captain. And there's no commentary or narrative around the fact that the, the captain is not expected to play every single game because right from the very beginning, Henderson didn't allow that to become an issue, right? Um, when Klopp first joined, Henderson was not the first choice midfielder. He wasn't. 
but he was more than okay coming off the bench, taking the, the armband, being substituted, giving the armband to another player. He was he was more than comfortable sharing the midfield with Emre Chan, uh, Gini Wijnaldum, Lalana, and um, another player that we had at the time that I forget. James Milner, of course, was playing in the middle, right? And at the time, we all knew that, or we all thought that Henderson was probably not going to last at Liverpool too much longer because he was not the first choice midfielder and as a captain you really should be on the field but he must be such a true leader that even if he's on the field and not as long as he's with the team they respond to him and so this never became an issue and now suddenly we're expecting rotation in the middle including the captain and it, we don't question his leaderships even even if he's on the bench and and I would take your your point, which is a fantastic one, to even the next level, which is when Klopp goes to Firmino, goes to Mane, and goes to Salah and says, you know what, you need to sit, you need a break. How can any of them say anything when they see Hendo sitting? Exactly. So again, the, the guy, to, to your point, I think Gerard led by example on the field, but I wonder if maybe Henderson is leading by example off the field in a way, um, taking anything uh, like whatever Klopp says he does um, whatever is best for the team he does and when you have a guy leading you like that how can you uh, how can you as another player not follow yeah um, all of the noises we hear of the work he does behind the scenes are exactly that that there's no disputing that he is the leader the same way that Klopp is the leader Right, so he's he's a leader of the players. There's there's no questioning whether or not he's playing, but simply him just being who he is. He's he's doing things behind the scene, making sure people are settled, um, filling up, you know, being that communi- communication between the, the management and the players, or management and the younger players. Just just making sure that he's there for everybody that need needs him at at, at that moment. And. I'm not saying that Steven Gerrard was not doing all those, all those things, but I think he did most of his leadership on the field. So uh, as a, as yes, yes. As a, as a final kind of thought on him again, who would have seen this coming, you know, almost what, 10 years ago, nine years ago when he was transferred. But if you recall the uh, dust up, if we'll call it between uh, Raheem Sterling and Joe Gomez um, at the, the English uh, camp where, where they were practicing, um, and Hendo actually wasn't there. He'd been given a few days off to, um, you know, because Liverpool had just played a game. Um, and so he actually called the coach to offer to come early to try to settle the dispute. Right. Even though he's not even the captain of the team, that's Harry Kane. Uh, Henderson was immediately apparently on the phone saying, I'll come, let me come take care of this. And yeah. again, how do you not follow that guy wherever he goes? Exactly. And the only reason why we know that story is because it got leaked. But you can imagine how many other types of uh, situations like this occur at Liverpool, at England as well, just wherever um, he's 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 um, involved. Yeah. And yeah. And including during the the lockdown, um, he was the one that gathered all of the captains of of the teams together to see what they could do to. to give portions of their wages to to the NHS, right? They all name-checked him as the one that started the conversations and led all of the discussions. So that that really shows you the the type of leader that he is. 
Yeah, exactly. And and similar, apparently, in the Black Lives Matter as well, where uh, Rio Ferdinand even came out and, and singled him out specifically as bringing rival players together for Black Lives Matter. So uh, again, you know, just as a, as a kind of looking back, it's amazing to think back in 2011, when we when we got this guy, um, we we were looking at the um, guy who would bring home the cup for us finally. And uh, I would never have imagined it in a million years. I'm so, and I'm so happy for him to be one the Liverpool captain, the the most recent Liverpool captain to raise both the EPL title and the Champions League. Yeah, and it's it's a testament to to how good he is as a captain, and he'll be again. This is one of those legendary ones where if you break the thirty year drought, you know you'll be talked about forever. Facts and figures. Okay, so with the win over Aston Villa, Liverpool managed to break yet another record this year, which was the number of consecutive home wins at 24. And so that uh, adds to the many records we've already broken this year, which include the earliest to win the league, uh, the latest calendar date to win the league, and of course that was because of COVID. But there are a few other records that we can look at. And one of the big ones, of course, is the most number of points in the season. So most number of points in the EPL was 100 or is 100 right now. The record in terms of the big five is Juventus with 102. And if Liverpool wins out the rest of the way, so we have five more matches, we get to 104. So upcoming are Brighton, Burnley, Arsenal, Chelsea, and Newcastle. Uh, Five matches left uh, to get to 104. How do you think we'll do? I think we'll get it. Um, I suppose the only thing, of course, once we play Brighton, if we don't win that game, then it change it, it may change my my perspective because what I what I think is right now we're going off momentum, and so the Aston Villa game was pivotal because after the Man City loss, if we didn't win the Aston Villa game, then of course we wouldn't have got the consecutive home wins record, and plus the players would have started to finally turn off and say okay the season is over let's just play it out but the fact that they're still in with a chance to get four wins out of the remaining five i think if we beat brighton we'll most likely beat burnley and then by the time we play arsenal we'll 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 have built up some momentum because arsenal is also starting to, to 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 get back into form so it's important that we're also on top of our game by the time we play them so i i'm in agreement with you i think uh of the of the five remaining games, Brighton, Burnley, and Newcastle should all be wins. Uh, I think again, Arsenal and Chelsea will be difficult. Chelsea in particular. If we can take one of those two, we get to one hundred and one points, and then we hold the record. It'd be nice to win all five, uh, but again, the the form we had when we visit when we played Aston Villa was not fantastic. If we come with that against Arsenal or Chelsea, I mean, definitely Chelsea, we're not winning that game. So. I hope they can kind of find whatever they need to. Again, I, I'm with you in that uh, Brighton and Burnley will give us the opportunity to uh, gain momentum. But I, I don't know. I, I'd, I'd like to think we'd get to 104, but I'm going to be conservative and say 101. Yeah, the new. I think the Newcastle game is an outlier. I doubt that we'll, we'll, we'll be in a position where we'll need to win the Newcastle game to make the record. I think... If we are going to get the record, then we'll we'll be winning the next four games um, consecutively, and then the Newcastle game is just a 
becomes a throwaway, in which case we may tie or possibly even lose. So that's that's the only reason why I think I'm not too concerned about the Newcastle game because I I don't see us losing any of the next four games and needing to win against Newcastle. I don't know. That Chelsea game will be tough. They've been looking good, and, and they're playing for something. They're playing for Champions League. Which may play into our hands because we're, number one, we're playing at Anfield. No, well, without a crowd, granted, however, it's still Anfield. Yeah, so we'll be motivated true. for that record. Number two, that's when we'll be getting the, the trophy presentation. So the players would not want to screw that up. Number three, the loss against Mad City is enough for them to recognize that they have to be on top of their game at all times. And they wouldn't want the embarrassment of losing on the, at Anfield on the day that they're being presented with the trophy. So, so I think that will be enough to keep them motivated. And they are the better team if they play to the best of their ability. So the Chelsea game, I'm not as concerned about. It's the Arsenal one that you, you never know. I, I, I just don't know what Liverpool team sh- will show up for that game. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. But again, I think I think 101 is very realistic. I think 104 is a strong possibility as well. But it would be nice to at least get to the 101 so we can we can hold that record. Uh, the next one that we can potentially beat is having the biggest uh, win points margin. So we're currently at 23 points uh, and the record is 19 points. And so essentially, even if Man City wins out the rest of their games, we would just need to win four out of five and still we carry that record. Yeah, so I see us breaking that one for sure because Man City will not win the rest of the games, clearly. Um, and I think... I'd, we'll I'd bother looking at who Man City's future opponents are, but I mean, they're losing to Southampton. So, you know, what? Like they're, they're clearly not in the form that they're winning every game that they're going out to. Yeah, not in the form, and they know they don't need to win, and they have bigger fish to fry, unfortunately, with the Champions League whenever they decide to put that that thing on. But yeah, I I I couldn't even be bothered to check who Man City's playing. I know they're not going to win their remaining five games. Okay, so then uh, most wins in a season. So the record is 32. We are at 28, which means we'd need to win all five, and I think you've already gone on record and said that we're going to be winning all five. Yeah, we're actually on 29. So uh, We're actually on 29. You're right. Apologies. Yeah, so we only have to win three to equal and four to beat. Out of all the records remaining, that's the one where I don't mind if we only equal. Of course, I I would love to beat it, but um, equaling the 100 points doesn't really do anything for me. But equaling this one, I think, is quite satisfying. But I see us beating it because we only need three more wins. And I don't see us, for sure, I don't see us losing two games. And I don't think we'll tie any of the games left except maybe the last one against Newcastle okay and then we move on to the final one which is uh unbeaten home games which uh we can't beat this year but we're at 57 and we're need to get to 86 so that would be a long way in the future we can maybe discuss that as we get closer to it but let me ask you of the records most points in a season biggest win margin and most wins in a season which one would you rather have of those three not that they're mutually exclusive of course if we win all our remaining games we get them all but if you only had to have one which one would you want most points in the season is one that stands out because that's the one that the average person on the street would resonate with and would be familiar with so that's the one that i i I want 
every other person to be saying, oh, yeah, Liverpool made the most points in the season. Yeah, I, I feel like it's an iconic thing. Uh, again, first of all, getting to three triple digits is unheard of. I mean, literally, Man City is the only one that ever did it. Um, and so being able to have that record, again, I think it would be near unbeatable. And uh, just the simple fact that we have put together that kind of season. I mean, I look at a team, um, you know, and, and we've discussed this uh on the last uh, core podcast about how Man U was, uh, uh, you know, had those great years, but in a couple of those years, they had less than 80 points and they won the league. So to me, winning the league is fantastic, but having like a truly epic point total, I think really takes it kind of above and beyond just your regular league win. So I would agree. I think that one really stands out for me. Do you have any interest in terms of some of the uh, other records, maybe individual accolades for the Golden Boot or something like that? Again, I I don't necessarily think we'll get it. I don't think any of our players are that close. But are any of the individual accolades of any importance to you for this year? It would be nice if Salah won the Golden Boot for three years in a row. Um, I don't know if it's... I'm sure it's been done before. Maybe Thierry Henry or Vanessa or someone like that. And there hasn't been much talk about it, which means it's probably not a record. But I think it would be nice for him to have that and to keep him motivated about his Liverpool career. Uh, he's only about three, maybe three goals behind Vardy. But he's he has four goals behind. Four? But yeah, so Vardy's got 21 and he's got 17. More importantly, he, he just hasn't really looked like scoring since the the um restart, the restart so, yeah so that's that's that would be the only concern however he's the kind of player that could score a hat trick next game right kind of quickly going back to the most points in the season what would be good is we'd be if we can get 103 points or more we'd be the first team to average 100 points over the course of two seasons which would be pretty cool that is actually something i hadn't thought about yeah you're right so given the amazing season we had last year, even though we didn't win the title, um, being able to average triple digit points, um, again, it would almost be for me, it would almost be like I want to go into next season and I want to get over 100 points again to just be able to say like that's the level that we're at. Because to me, that's a, an epic level of a team. Yeah, because Man City was averaging 99 points for those two seasons, but they've totally dropped to, they, they'll be happy if they make mid 70s quite frankly um so it'll be good if we can average 100 points for two seasons and then go into next one pushing that same number as well that is that is kind of crazy to think the drop off i mean uh, man city is at 66 points with five games left which means the max they could get is 81 so yeah we could look at if we got to 102 um, we could average 100 points over two seasons and potentially, you know, if we can dominate next year as well, that would be that would be a truly amazing run. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I like that one. Um, just as a, as a bonus uh, question in terms of points, uh, Sadio Mane is at 16 goals for uh, Mo Salah's 17. Who do you, which one of them do you think ends the season with the most? My head says Sadio Mane. My heart says Salah. So, like I said, Salah hasn't looked like scoring, but I just suspect he will. He he will win the Golden Boot this year. I know it's a complete long shot. Sadio Mane looks like he'll continue scoring one one every game, but Salah will have a breakout game either against Brighton or Burnley. 
Yeah, he seems to almost be primed for one of those. I feel like he hasn't had it in a while. He hasn't quite looked right. Um, I remember, what was it, a game or two ago where right at the end of the game, he had an absolute gimme that he either could have passed the Minamino to score or just put it in and he totally screwed it up. So um, it feels like he's almost on that edge and he's looked aggressive. So I, I agree with you. I think I'd go with Salah on that. But yeah, I mean, the exciting part, uh, having won the league, now we can look forward to trying to get that 100 plus points and uh, put our name down in the history books as the team that's won that's had the mo- highest point total in the history um, of English football. Critique and commentary. So one thing I did want to talk about was the way Liverpool defends fr- free kicks. You know where our line is, is so high and does not move and we we typically end up causing an offside from the other team but on occasion other teams have been able to to recognize this and they start with one or two players coming in from deep who eventually are able to get a header or or shot off what are your thoughts on the way that we defend and do you think that it's sustainable so i gotta say honestly i i know that last year we we didn't keep as high a line that's that's what i'm remembering um but I felt like last year during free kicks, I felt like we were in much more control where this year I got to say like every time there's a free kick, I kind of come up out of my seat in terror because I feel like we're so close to conceding goals. Um, and, and it's not just even the high line. Like I feel like other teams are making engineered plays. So have a guy run short or on the near side, will get the ball and then cross it or they'll put a header over long and then it'll come back in like i feel like other people are making these ingenious plays and getting legitimate chances off and we're just we're not stopping them like we did last year i don't feel like there's a lot of goals coming off of it but i feel like that's a product of fortune as opposed to design um okay so if goals is a currency that we're talking about here don't you think that we we can say that this technique is effective because to your point we we haven't conceded many if any goals off off these free kicks compared to previous seasons granted it's it as a liverpool fan it's not the most pleasant experience sitting through that but for the most part we do get the other team offside or um, even if they are able to get a header or a shot off, uh, Alice is able to save it, and and then importantly too, we're able to counter. So I wonder how much of a of a part that has to play. So it's it's interesting you said the the counter because I I remember on our earlier podcast uh, before the COVID thing, we actually talked about how Liverpool was more dangerous on opponents' corners than on our on than they were. So we were actually getting goals and chances off of their corners and getting chances off of their free kicks. So I do wonder that maybe there was a bit of a sacrifice made in terms of a defensive position to be able to react better up the field. Uh, maybe that's a possibility. Um, all I can say is, that, again, I think that we are making it difficult for other teams to score with that high line, but I do feel like they're getting chances. And I'm just worried if some of those start going in, that things will get a lot more dicey. Like I I do wonder, is it really a case where these are such high uh, danger or high um, 
uh, like such low quality chances. They they seem dangerous, but really the player would need to make this extraordinary play to score. Maybe that's what we're giving up. We're just not recognizing it as fans. Yeah, exactly. Because we one thing that we know for sure is that Klopp and his team are very meticulous when it comes to the details. And as long as we don't concede, and as long as we don't give up chances, which we don't, it's just that the chances that we do give up seem so guilt-edged when we do give them up. But the reality is we don't actually give up that many chances off these free kicks. So as long as we continue doing that and we are also optimizing our opportunity to catch the team on the break, they'll I, I think they'll keep doing it. Yeah, I mean, clearly it's something that's working now. Um, but again, I just, I feel like last year we were a lot more secure. We, we had a bit of a lower line. Uh, it wasn't kind of the crazy free-for-all that we have now. Uh, and I don't feel like we were waiting for the linesman to um, to to bail us out. We were just winning those headers. And maybe maybe that's it. Maybe I just answered my own question. Maybe with the invention of VAR, uh, Klopp and his team have realized, you know what? Those um, borderline uh, offside calls are going to be found. So let's use that to our advantage. I don't know. What do you think? I think that's a great point, and I, I think you may have um, hit something there, that this this change in the way we defend set pieces coincided with the implementation of, of VAR. And so there must be something to it, because even though to the naked eye it looks extremely risky what we're doing, again, you, you can't argue with the numbers. And for the most part, the opposing team ends up being offside, or they have to concoct this really amazing set play that we end up saving anyway right and then immediately hit them on the break with so i don't like it myself but good kudos to to the team for coming up with with um a way to take advantage of the new rules that were implemented this year yeah i mean that would be it would it would be really fantastic if they had kind of foreseen this, which I could believe. Um, you know, again, we've heard Klopp talk lots about stats-driven decisions. And, you know, for all we know, again, we're not there, but for all we know, the stats guys came and said, hey, you know what? Uh, X number of goals that we gave up last year would have been disallowed with far. So maybe we need to catch more people in the offside. Maybe that's more bang for your buck. Yeah. And also looking at the personnel too, Van Dyke, um, Joel Matip are pretty decent he headers. Even Lovren, whenever he plays, and then of course Allison is 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 a great shot stopper too. So I guess Klopp is willing to take take those chances that that uh, the opposing team will be able to 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 get the ball through our defensive line and then be able to beat Allison, but we know that those are extremely low, low odds. Do you actually find, so this is one thing I was thinking about, uh, do you find you wish Allison came out more in those type of situations on free kicks? My heart says yes. My mind says no, because he's not coming out as much now and it's working, but it will certainly put my, my, my heart at ease if he did, if he came out and gave it a good punch. But I yeah, think that I, defeats the... the the, the intent of the strategy, I believe. That's yeah, that's interesting. I've I've been kind of yelling at the screen 
you know, a lot for him to come out because, oh my God, like, I feel like these are balls that he should be able to get to. And, and knowing him, I think he could probably get to them. But I wonder if, to your point, maybe they know the stats are that, you know, when when keepers run out, they get the X percentage of balls, which means they don't want to do that. And so it's better for him to stay in net and let the play kind of play out because it's more likely that the shot will miss or it'll come straight to him. Again, this this whole thing, while it's hard on our hearts and, and about to give us a heart attack every time it happens, may all be a stats-driven thing because, look, the results are working, so what can we say? Yeah, I I agree, and I but I wouldn't be surprised. I I don't I don't think we'll just keep playing this way. So I wouldn't be surprised if come next season there's a little bit of a tune up to that technique. And in fact, I wouldn't be I'd be less surprised if we saw something begin to to evolve in these last few few games this season, just as a test. Since the the league is won and there's very little to play for. This will be a perfect way to to test any new variations of this rule. Yeah, maybe have uh, more guys on the wing, or maybe bring guys into different positions. That's true. That that might be interesting for them to kind of add a new twist. But I mean, it's you know this. I started this segment thinking we need to fix something, but now I'm sitting here thinking, you know what? Maybe they've made all these decisions with the data that we don't have access to, and they know what they're doing because I mean, it's effective. Yeah, and the longest effective, I think, the more at ease that will be with their uh, with the free kicks. And even if we do concede, I don't think we'll be that irritated because we trust this team enough to to either to 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 fight back or to retain the lead, depending on where they are in the game. Um, it kind of goes with with um, watching Liverpool over the years and watching Klopp's team evolve over the years initially there were games where we would have a two or three goal lead and we'd end up tying or losing the game but now we we trust that that just won't happen anymore and so now we ha- we need to build that trust on the free kicks for more stories analysis and articles go to the forensicop.com website <laughs>